Good evening, everyone. God bless you. Thank you for coming. One more thing to give thanks for tonight. You're probably going to kill me for doing this, but Andy has been married for 25 years on Tuesday. Come on. Praise the Lord. So, it goes without saying, please pray for Gina. Yeah, amen. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your Bibles tonight, turn to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. I'm going to read a few scriptures here, not the whole chapter, but a few significant scriptures that I want to draw out. And I've had this word on my mind for a long time. Isaiah 54, really pivotal chapter in scripture. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than the one who has a husband, says the Lord. Listen, destiny. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Let me drop down to verse 16. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. However, verse 17, no weapon forged or formed against you will be permitted to prevail. And in the end, you're going to refute every tongue that ever rises against you. Amen. Jesus. I pastored in Dublin, which is a tough city, for 12 years. And my stepson, he's a gentle giant. We lived in a tall house. And one day, I was upstairs, top level, and I looked out and I could see my beautiful, gorgeous, lovely, gentle stepson running for his life towards our house. And behind him, there was a gang of five or six youth chasing him. It's a tough city, you know. They were just about to give him a hiding. So I ran with all my might down, but he was quicker than me. He jumped the fence, the key in the door, and he was fumbling in. By the time I got down there, I went outside, the guys ran away. So parents, you will know, it takes you a little bit of time to calm down with a circumstance like that. So after I had calmed down, I called my, I, I realized I had never taught my son to fight. Imagine that, imagine bringing him in to Dublin and never teaching him how to fight. So I said, James, come here. Stand there. <laughs> I said to him, I saw what happened today. I saw you. And I need to teach you something. 
stand there. I said, put your foot, put your foot like that, right? Forward. And put this foot like that. Now you're going to have to protect your rib cage. So get this, get this elbow here, right? And get this arm like this. And see this arm? I want you to pull it back. Tight! Tight, boy! Pull it back. Pull it back. Ready? Three, two, one. Relax. Just relax, James. That is not how you fight your battles, James. Now, I want you to take a different pose. Stand there. Put your feet like this. Now, do this, James. Do this. Do this. And do this, James. Do this and do this. Do this. James, this is how we fight our battles. This is how we win our battles. Hallelujah. And you know, our Father is good. A good heavenly Father. Can you imagine looking from the parapets of heaven and watching you, his children, suffer in the fight? Can you imagine the bursting heart of God wanting to teach you and to school you and to guide you? Right? Amen? Wanting to help us. You see, folks, there's rules. There's rules in this game. You watch something like a rugby match, you know? Looks like chaos to me, but anyway, they're all, they're all rolling around the place. And to the casual observer, you could think, well, I could do that. There's no rules there. But if you did that, you're going to get sent off. And you're going to be bad for your nation. And you'll be bad for your team because there actually are rules. Even in war, even the lost, even the, the heathen nations have rules in war. Right? <laughs> yes, they do. The Geneva Convention. People break it, but they're called war criminals. And we also have criminals in the kingdom of God. People who do not know the rules, and some who do, but don't live by them. Praise God for Isaiah 54. One of the most pivotal scriptures, crossing over from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and Isaiah really draws out the nature of true Christian warfare. What are the rules? Rule number one. To defeat the devil, to win the battle, and to end up in victory. Rule number one. What do you think it is? Rule number one. Never treat other people the way they treat you. Sorry if that's not rocket science, but that's rule number one. You never, ever treat other people the way they treat you. Rule number two. Never treat other people the way the devil treats you. Ah, that's a little bit more subtle, that one. Don't pick up. Look, if you have raised a child, sooner or later, that child comes home with words that you didn't teach them. You didn't hear that in this house. And they bring into your home after they've been out there behaviors 
And every parent multiple times has said, I didn't teach you that. We do not have that in this house. But that's what it's like. People go into the world and they pick up the worldly ways of war and try to mix it in to the kingdom of God. Never deal with the devil the way the devil deals with you. Don't pick up his ways. They're not your ways. You've got higher ways, good ways. The weapons of our warfare are good and godly, and they're not going to harm you. Hallelujah. Don't pick up that attitude. Don't pick up that bad spirit. Never deal with others the way the devil deals with you. You know, I was sitting in Costa. It was a packed Costa coffee shop, but I managed to get a table, like six seats all by myself, and I was quite happy sitting there. And this group of people come in, there's about six or seven of them, and I could see them looking around for a seat. So I'm sitting there. But it was the attitude of the man. The, the guy who was leading the group just walked over to my table, and he said, he came over and he said, we're going to sit here. Whew. Well, I'm Irish, you see. <laughs> we're going to sit here. So I said, sorry? And he said, we're sitting here. I said, well, excuse me, I'm, I'm actually sitting here. And he, and he said, you're not sitting on all the seats. So I put my arm around that seat and put my arm around that, put, put my foot up that. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sitting on all the seats, all the seats. So he just got furious. And he walked over and he was going, look, look at him over there. And I sat there slowly sipping. It was cold, but I didn't care. I just pretended it's hot. <laughs> I sat there watching this guy, you see, and he was seething. What just happened? The little boy inside him drew out the little boy inside me. He's acting bad, and somehow I pick up the same thing. Are you with me? Don't deal with other people the way they deal with you, but don't deal with other people the way the devil deals with you. And thirdly, of course, deal with everybody the way Jesus has ultimately dealt with you. I thank God for Isaiah 54. In, the, in those few scriptures that we read, it's a pivotal scripture, and he draws out two things. Do not be afraid, because you're not going to be put to shame. And if, for me, he's standing in the middle of history. What is this, 750 years before Christ? Is it Isaiah standing there? If you go back to the Garden of Eden, when the whole battle be began, what did Eve say, uh, Adam say? We were afraid? Fear. So we hid? Shame. And then you come to the middle of Scripture here with Isaiah, middle of time. And here's these two things being pointed out. For me, this is the basis of warfare. But it's limited. The devil is limited. I, I, one of my first missions trip I ever went on, I went to Poland many, many years ago. And I had, now had no experience of what it was going to be like. We stayed in someone's house. I'll never forget it. They gave us breakfast, and it was bread, tomatoes, and cheese. And I thought, thank you very much. That was delicious. Then it came time for lunch. Totally different. Cheese, 
tomatoes and bread. She'd moved it all around on the plate. I thought, okay, fair enough, that's fine. Time for dinner. Can't wait to see what this is. You guessed it. Tomatoes, bread, and cheese. And I suddenly realized these blessed people, and they really were so kind and so sweet, but very limited. They had such a limited, you know, fare to give us. I felt sorry for them. I thought, wow. But you know what? The devil is limited. The devil is limited. And Isaiah points that out. He says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. And for me, it's like the basis of a pizza. What's the basis of a pizza? Bread, tomatoes, and cheese. And that's it. Now, if you want the toppings, you have to go forward to Paul in all the epistles. And he gives all the little demons. Right? But the basics is this. The basic is that. And I want to know the basis, the foundation of the enemy I'm fighting. I need to know his limitations, lest I exaggerate his strength. Amen? And I believe Isaiah is emphasizing something in history here that we will do well to pay attention to. I used to play badminton with a friend called Mike Gray. I didn't play for long because he got fed up. I started playing Mike, <clears throat> and we're in, in the gym, you know, playing badminton. I suddenly realized he's a great guy, but he couldn't do a backhand. So every time, he had to run like this and run over the other side. He couldn't do it. He was limited. And every time he tried to do it, I can't do it. Do you know what? I could defeat that guy every single time we played. Why? Because I know his limitations. I know your limitations. All I have to do is, and you're done. So it got to the point where I'd say, hey, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to go and play? No. No, because you always win. And so it is with the devil, friend. He always leads us in triumph. Always if we only know the weapons of his limitations, right? How limited he is and what is available to us. God help us. Help us see what God wants us to see. You know, I think about my dad this morning. Do you know what Jesus said one day? The least of you is greater than John the Baptist. Heaven's above. I hope I don't offend people when I say this, but my father was one of the most godly men I have ever known in my life. Didn't have a particular fellowship to go to, didn't read a Bible, didn't have a spirit-filled church. No, didn't have any of that. But I lived with him. We all did. And we were all just kind of really blessed to have him as a dad because we know him. The guy's sanctified at such a level. And you would think someone like that, well, you know, they've got, they've got Bible studies, they've got a prayer group. That, no, he didn't have anything. He was really limited. Do you know what he did have? He had communion every day. See, the devil is limited. And that makes him weak and vulnerable. But if any of you feel limited, I want you to know the only thing my dad had 
was a daily reminder of the blood of Jesus. And that was enough. That was enough. He didn't need anything else. So whilst the devil's limitations make him weak, it's not so with you. If you've got one insight, one prophetic word, one strength, just like badminton, you can use that thing. Amen? Know the devil. Know the devil's weapons. Yes, indeed. Fear and shame. My wife was teaching here in the box a few weeks ago. I thought it was a great point she made. She was saying, faith comes by hearing, but doubt also comes by hearing. Doubt and unbelief comes by unbehearing. You'll be careful who you listen to, right? I thought it's just such a simple but such a good point. And thank God that tonight I can say to you emphatically that fear is not from God. That's brilliant. I have not given you a spirit of fear. Not. No. The answer is no. So if you experience that, you should reject it in Jesus' name. Fear and shame, the pizza base. Here we go. Do we live in a shame culture or what? What happened? How did that get in there? Shame on you if you wear a mask. Shame on you if you don't. Right? Shame on you if you eat meat. Shame on you if you don't eat meat. Shame on you if you drive a car. You're destroying the planet. And woe betide you if you ask for a plastic bag in Tesco's. Shame on you, right? It is a shame culture. But I warn you guys, here we go, sitting in a coffee shop, and I had a word. I had a word the other day, really strange. Listen up. Listen to this. Deep shame. Oh, I didn't know what it meant. I was thinking of you, David, actually, when I got deep shame. I thought, what's that? What's deep shame? And I hadn't included this when I originally wrote this. I've added this because I only got this this week. Listen carefully. <laughs> Shame has two levels. Two levels in which it functions at. The basic level is sin. So the devil tempts you to sin, right? Then when you've sinned, he condemns you and shames you with the very sin that he, he tempted you to commit, right? That's just sin. That's just basic level sin. That's shame related to sin. But that's just the basic level. It advances. So you grow as a Christian, and you get stronger as a Christian. You start to walk righteously with the, in the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit. What happens next? The second level of shame, and it's deeper. And it's not based on sin. It's based on your good works. It's deep shame. You know deep fake? Deep fake is when you see a YouTube video of someone and it looks like their face, but it's not them. It's not them. It's AI. And they're really clever at it. It's a deep fake. Do you know what? Um, deep state, right? Deep state is the secret powers at working within the nations of the world. But what's deep shame? As I say, level one, I believe the devil... Uh, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. But we need to grow up on dealing with shame, I tell you. Basic level sin. But the next level is the good I do. The good you do, destiny. That's, it. That's the shame. Follow me. 
I worked in one city. Don't judge me for saying this. Let me finish. <laughs> I, I tell you, I was faithful and long-suffering and helped people who no one else was helping. And I, I really put my, my neck on the line, and I served endlessly. My motive was pure. What I did was good, and it was right. And I, I, I was consistent in it, and I went on and on and on serving, doing good. I had been walking with the Lord a long time. One day, a member comes into the church with the best-selling newspaper in this country. And they open up paper center pages, and it's all about me. Amazing. And the devil took every good thing, every good thing that I had done, and twisted it, and presented it. It was amazing. I was shocked as I read through. There was not a morsel of truth in that thing. But something strange happened to me as I read it, I thought, I didn't do that because of that. I didn't do that because of This is lies. This is my good. My good is being attacked. Wow. But something strange happened inside me. I felt almost like stopping doing good. I was hurt. And I felt almost like pulling back because the devil was clever foe, you know. Deep shame. Human being, as a, just as a man, just as a human being, as long as I'm on this planet, somewhere deep inside me, that thing is there. Hallelujah. But God can overcome it. And so I felt myself shrinking back and being afraid of continuing in good works. As I read the article, I thought, I brought shame on the house of God. I'm sorry for what I've looked, Lord, I'm sorry. And the effect on me was negative. What's this got to do with Isaiah 54? Enlarge the place of your tent. Do not pull back. Did you hear that? Do not stop doing good. Increase the good. Do not let the devils, you know, meddling and tangling in what we do be twisted and turned so that we pull back. That is not the plan, guys. Continue doing good. Are you getting my point? Barry, how dare, shame on you for opening a grocery store. Shame on you. Ivan, shame on you for praying for the sick, one of whom was healed in Leith on Friday, by the way. Hallelujah. Shame on you. Andrew, Sue, how dare you preach the gospel. Shame on you. And these things have a funny effect if you're not careful. We are not unaware of the devil's schemes. No. And this is one of the schemes. It's a difficult one. In some ways, it's something that happens often later, I believe, in ministry. No, we will not pull back. We will not pull back. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. And every word spoken against you, one, eventually you will refute. Just keep doing good. <clears throat> By the way, Isaiah says this, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Do you know what the presumption here is? There's going to be weapons. Sorry about that. He's presuming that you know there's going to be weapons. And the word he used, the blacksmith's term, 
He says, no weapon formed against you will, uh, will prosper. It, the word formed, it's forged. It's a blacksmith's term. He mentions it actually, I think it's verse 16. The blacksmith forges. Look at this. This is where the weapons, this is how they're formed. The blacksmith takes his, his metal and he pushes it in the fire and he forms forged, no weapon forged, and he pulls it out and he comes to attack God's people. Keep listening. What happens next? Repeat. Bread, tomatoes, cheese. Repeat, back in the fire. That's forged. Then back out again. How many of you have been attacked by the same thing? It's forged. Forged is repeated and repeated and repeated. Scripture says, yes, it will be repeated. And you better accept the fact that weapons will come against God's people, but they will not succeed. That's the promise of Scripture. No matter how often he, he does it. Do you know what he seeks to do? And this is what we're all experiencing today. The devil is seeking to weaponize life. To take the ordinary things of everyday life and turn it into a weapon against you. Grief. I, I lost my first wife after eight years of sickness at home where I cared for her for a long time. But I had to fight that fight and declare and prophesy over myself, talk to myself. You will not weaponize my situation. I reject it in Jesus' name. The devil is very good at taking life Life, we've all got one. Life, sickness, ah, oh. and come after you to, to play with your mind and weaponize grief or sickness or hurt or betrayal or even your own mistakes. Don't accept it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't accept it. Don't let them weaponize. Goodness me, internationally, that's all we see these days. No weapon formed against you will prosper. That word actually means penetrate. I do not believe Scripture says you're not going to get hurt. I don't believe the Bible says that. Jesus said the opposite. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. It doesn't say that. That's not what Isaiah is saying. What he's saying is not going to penetrate. It's completely different. You may get hurt, you may get knocked down flat on your back, but you will arise. You will arise. I grew up <coughs> watching Clint Eastwood. <coughs> Remember the Dollars Trilogy? A fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly. They were great. And in one, I think it's a few dollars more. Clint Eastwood is standing there with his poncho, you know the story. And in the distance, there's Lee Van Cleef, the devil himself, with, with a gun, <laughs> pointed at Clint Eastwood. And Clint, he's just standing there, you know, and I said, wait a minute, can't get a gun there. I need to get Matt to do the accent. He's standing there, and Lee Van Cleef takes a shot. Well, I'm 12 years old. And Clint Eastwood hits the ground. He's just been shot dead by Lee Van Cleef. And I go, Mommy, they've killed Clint Eastwood. 
no more spaghetti, look. <laughs> and then if, if you want, I mean, watch that clip, watch that clip. It's all silent, and then suddenly Eastwood starts to move, and he rises up. And, oh, they didn't kill him. So they take another shot. Down he goes again. Oh, they got him this time. Forged. He goes down again. And this happens five times. And in the end, Clint Eastwood stands up and he throws back his poncho. Have you seen it? <laughs> and underneath, he has carved a metal plate. And all those bullets. Yes, he was hit. Yes, they attacked him. Yes, he was knocked down. But it didn't penetrate. It didn't kill him. And we've been through many battles. You guys have been through many battles. But you're still standing. Yeah. And you're standing for a purpose. So as we cross over, do you know there was three dollar, uh, three movies in that trilogy? Right? A fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you know the best movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? It was the last one. But to get to the end, Eastwood has to get up off the floor. Because eh? that happened in the middle movie. He has to get up, otherwise there would be no The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, right? Because he would have been bumped off in movie number two. Destiny. Is it time for the next movie, huh? Time for part three. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is one of the best movies. Don't, don't start me on Westerns, but anyway, it is, though. We need to, to wrap up. Do not be afraid. It's a basic ingredient, and you don't have to take it. It's not for you. You are not going to be put to shame, either at a primary level or at a secondary level. Do not hold back. Keep on doing good. In fact, do more of that good. I believe we're going to get to the place like my friend Mike Gray. Do you want a game? No. Resist the devil and he will fail. Once you know the tactic, once you know his limitations, he's going to go and bother somebody else, not you. Amen? We need to move on to the baptisms. But before we do that, the most important thing to us is you. If you're not saved, if you're here tonight and you, perhaps you've enjoyed this evening, but you know in your heart that perhaps you're not quite in the same place as others here, we want to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, something that's happened all of us. And it's not complicated. It just means to turn from our sin, from everything we know to be wrong, and put our faith in Jesus Christ, on his death, in your place, on a cross. He rose again, and today he has the power to offer you eternal life. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Years ago, I was walking through Cardiff City in Wales, and I was not saved. I will never forget this moment. I felt confident. Now, I'm lost, remember? I'm not a Christian. And I went to my local church, Calvary Baptist Church. I'd never been inside, but I thought, I'm going to go down to church tonight. I tell you, with every step, 
I lost my confidence. Yeah, strange thing. And when I got to the door, there was a guy who I came to know called John Jones standing at the door with a big smile. Do you know what I did? I walked straight past. Yeah, walked straight past. Because the weight of the shame, I wasn't expecting it. Subtle thing, this. And it took a friend, actually, to bring me to a church. I remember that guy. His name was Stephen Harris. And he told me this, told me this story once. It was a 12-year-old boy. Had cancer. Terminal cancer. And his parents were divorced. So when he was in hospital getting the chemo, they were so bitter and angry at each other, they would never visit him together. That's how bitter they were. They hate, they'd gone from loving each other to hating each other. So this poor child lying in the bed has mommy on Monday, daddy on Tuesday, and they alternate. And the doctor said, look, you've got a week, two weeks, but the child will die. So they went to the son, and it's, you know, like the mom says, is there anything you want? Is there anything we can do? And the boy said, mm, yeah, I would really like it if you both came to visit me at the same time. So the mom rings the dad, and the dad rings the mom. I'm willing if you're willing. I'll go if you'll go, just for his sake. That's what he asked for, let's do. So the moment comes, and that boy's, the son is lying there. Mom comes in, the dad comes in. This is what that boy did. He reached over and he took his father's hand it across and he took his mother's hand and he pulled them together like that Hallelujah. do you know in the garden of eden there was a horrible separation between god the father and you and on the cross jesus takes the hand of god your creator god the father but tonight, he's reaching for yours. Will you give him that hand? Will you respond and be reconnected in love to the God who loves you and created you? Can we bow our heads one moment? I'm going to give you the chance to do exactly that. If, if you feel tonight is the night that you want to be saved, you want to come to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Just raise your hand up high in the air and then put it back down. Our ushers will come and speak with you before you leave this building. Just raise your hand up and say, that's me. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus Christ. Just raise that hand and then put it back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Great. Great. God bless you. Anybody else? The doors are open. 
God is ready for you. Hallelujah. Just going to give another few seconds. Anybody else want to come to Christ tonight? Thank you, Lord. Well, let me pray for you just before I hand over to Barry and Razvan who are going to lead us with the baptisms. Father, I thank you for these here who have responded. I pray your grace and your mercy to cover them. Lord, we embrace them even as you have embraced them. Protect them even from this night forward. And we pray even in a short time, we will see them also baptized right here in Jesus' name.